Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. In our natural common mentality, the law of God easily assumes a preeminent position. We can relate to the notion of keeping a high moral standard of conduct. And surely this seems in line with what must be God's plan and desire for mankind. After all, God himself gave the commandments to Moses to pass on to his people, the children of Israel. But there is a fundamental problem when we afford the law the central position in our relationship to God. And that is that though it is good and righteous and holy, the law is powerless and must rely on man's fallen flesh to carry it out. Try as we may, and regardless of how much desperate prayer expressing our earnest desire to carry it out we add to it, the result is inevitable and utter failure, leaving us defeated and condemned and spiritually dead. Oh, that our eyes would be open to see that this righteous law that so vividly portrays God's holy nature has never occupied the central place in His plan. For that place throughout eternity is reserved unchangingly for the Christ of God alone. Bill Lawson is here as we come to our fourth program, Bill, in this life study of uh, the Psalms. And we're seeing the Psalms, I think, unfolded already in a way that is probably new to virtually all our listeners. Really so, Chris. Of course, with Psalm 1, you begin with a law. And uh, surely in the Old Testament, the law to the Hebrews was the top thing. And that's what uh, separated them from the Gentile nations around them. It's easy for us, according to Psalm 1, to uplift the law, exalt the law, because uh, by keeping the law, we consider that we're pretty good and we can do our best to keep God's standard of the law. But this is all for our personal benefit. It's short in the realization of how central Christ is uh, to God's economy. That's uh, really this title of our message today, Christ and God's Economy, and to our listeners realizing we're in an Old Testament book written uh, centuries before the coming of Christ, and yet here we're seeing Christ unveiled, aren't we? Especially the psalm we're focusing on today, Psalm 2, as you said, Psalm 1 is on the law, but Psalm 2 altogether reveals Christ, doesn't it? Right. According to our concept, we would probably all 150 psalms, we would exalt the law. But right away in the divine revelation, it brings us from uh, Psalm 1 concerning God's law, the Mosaic law, right away to chapter 2, where we see something uh, marvelous concerning the plan and position that Christ has in the eternal economy of God, Chris. But I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. That's Psalm 2.6, a clear reference to the coming king of kings. Verse 7, he says, I will recount the decree of Jehovah. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Another clear reference to Christ, even in his resurrection, isn't it? It really is. You have here the wonderful person, and of course you have a lot of the work of Christ all the way from his incarnation to his coming in the coming kingdom. 
where he will be king over all the nations. It's a marvelous span, right, of time. Yeah. Of course, if we get time, we could also see these verses also start all the way back to eternity if we want to get into it a little bit more. Well, we'll get to as much as we can. Uh, I think we have a lot to uh, enjoy. Witness Lee's uh, three portions today. Why don't we get to the first one, then we'll come back and uh, have a chance to pick up this marvelous topic some more, Bill. Psalm 2 is a declaration of God according to the divine concept. Psalm 1 is too human, too natural. If you would meditate the law day and night, then whatever you do, you'll prosper. That's human. That human gains. No consideration in Psalm 1 for God's economy. So this psalm is God's declaration according to his divine concept, exalting Christ as the center of the economy of God. Amen. You mean, brother, this is your kind of a concept. You don't have the word economy in Psalm 2, do you? The word economy is not in Psalm 2, but God's economy is really in Psalm 2. Firstly, I cite my king. To have a king is to fulfill certain economy. Then I have given you the nations as your inheritance. And I have given you the limit of the earth as your possession. This is for a kingdom. Of course, the king's here and the king needs a kingdom. And this kingdom is not a small kingdom. This is a kingdom that covers the limits of the earth, the whole earth. This is the biggest kingdom. As long as it is kingdom, they are saying this is the economy of God. Bill, uh, unmistakable contrast here. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who delights in the law of God, who meditates on it by day and by night. Uh, he will be blessed. He'll be like a tree next to a river. That is one kind of economy, but uh, right. the economy where the sun is exalted, where the king is set in his place and given the earth for an inheritance, this is another economy, isn't it? It really is. Of course, Chris, when we use this word economy, of course, it's not found here, the actual word, but uh, it's implied here very, very much. You have, of course, God's economy is God's plan. God's arrangement to dispense himself into man with his life and nature so that this man, we human beings, could eventually express God in full. And in order to carry out that economy, God needs his Christ, his anointed one. Of course, he was anointed in eternity as the Messiah to carry out God's plan in eternity. But, of course, that has to be carried out in time. Right. So when the Lord was incarnated as a man, we know that at the age of 30, he began his priestly service, just like the Old Testament priests began their service at 30. And right away before he began his service there as a man, his ministry, he was anointed at his baptism. So right away, we may wonder, well, what is this? How many times does he have to be anointed? (laughs) He was anointed in eternity, but in time he has to be anointed because now he's a man. He was anointed in his divinity in eternity past, but now he has to be anointed in his humanity to carry out God's purpose for man to redeem the fallen human race and eventually to get himself into a form, the life-giving spirit, in order to regenerate and enter and live in this man. 
Well, I think a good lead-in into this coming section. This is, you're touching the things that are really the central items of God's economy, as our listeners are right now used to hearing us refer to God's plan, God's desire, and in the accomplishment of his plan, his economy revealed in Scripture. Central to his economy, surely, is the resurrection of Christ. And that is clearly referred to, we already mentioned the verse in Psalm 2-7, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, that is a, a real reference, isn't it, Bill, to Christ in resurrection? We're going to talk about that in this coming section. And we want to point out that passage, that portion of Psalm 2-7 is quoted twice in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13, that God has fully fulfilled this promise to us, their children, in raising up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And the apostle, we believe Paul in Hebrews chapter 1 Again, quotes this same passage, all referring to Christ in resurrection, central item in God's economy. Uh, Really so. There, he's speaking in a synagogue about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And as he's speaking here, all of a sudden he refers to resurrection and he quotes Psalm 2-7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And you're wondering, well, Paul, what are you talking about? And as you said, Chris also in Hebrews. Paul, we're pretty certain, also was the author of Hebrews. And even in that book, he's talking about the uh, Son who is begotten by the Father in resurrection, in his humanity, to be the firstborn Son of God in his resurrection. Well, well, let's uh, join Witness Lee. We'll come back to touch this matter in more detail. This Christ, first A, was anointed. Then he was resurrected. Psalm 2 shows us Christ's resurrection. You don't have the word here. Resurrection, the word is not here, but his resurrection is in Psalm 2. Now, what is that? That is, God said to him, Today I have begotten you to be my son. Today, please tell me, what was that day? You read Acts 13. You could see there in Acts 13, quotes the word in Psalm 2. And Paul told us that refers to Christ's resurrection. Today, that means the day of Christ's resurrection. Christ was begotten. Then after this, installed as God's king. Here, God declared, I have said my king. This is ascension. Christ's ascension is here. In his ascension, he was made the king for God's kingdom in the heavens, having been given the nations as his inheritance and the limits of the earth as the possession for his kingdom. To rule the nations as his kingdom with an iron rod, right? So could you see the sequence here? From his being anointed eternity in his divinity. It goes through all the steps. You may say, well, there's nothing talk about Christ's death. Well, when you talk about Christ's resurrection, resurrection implies death. If there's no death, how could there be resurrection, right? So you have death here, you have his resurrection here, you have his ascension. Then his what? His enthronement. 
God set him as a king. That is to enthrone him, to give him all the nations with the limits of the earth. This is to set up a universal kingdom for Christ. Then Christ comes in to rule the nations, right, with the iron rod. But he was opposed. By what? By the rulers of the world. Psalm 2 says this. Why the nations uproar? Why the rulers take counsel together against Jehovah and his anointed? Actually, Bill, there's a a lot here in this section. We see all the stages, really, of Christ's accomplished work in God's economy. I do want to come back to this matter of his being begotten on the day of resurrection. It seems quite strange to our natural thought. On one hand, he's the eternal son. So when was there a begetting? And then, of course, we know when John says God gave his only begotten son, we would assume that must be on the day of his uh, human birth. But actually, his resurrection was his begetting. How can you uh, help us with this? This is really a mystery, Chris. Like you mentioned, of course, John 3.16 is a very, very familiar verse with all regenerated believers. And it tells us that God gave his only begotten Son. Of course, that refers definitely to the Lord Jesus being the Son of God. Then when we look at Psalm 2.7 here, the Father speaks to the Son. He makes a declaration, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Well, uh, we know that the Lord Jesus was always the only begotten Son of God, but Romans 8 tells us that he's the firstborn Son. So here you have this matter of he was begotten in his humanity to be the firstborn Son of God. According to his divinity, Chris, he was always the only begotten Son of God. But when he became a man, he put on a human nature that has nothing to do with the Son of God. In that process of 33 and a half years, his humanity had to be brought into the sonship of the only begotten Son of God. That process was completed on the very day that the Lord resurrected. So in resurrection, his humanity not his divinity. His humanity was begotten to be the firstborn son of God in resurrection. Wow. So the clear reference there, as uh, he pointed out in Acts 13.33, referring to the raising up of Jesus and then quoting the verse, identifying this day, the day that he was begotten as the son of God is the day of resurrection. Quickly, Bill, how about these other stages, these other steps in God's economy that Witness Lee was uh, Uh, mentioning? Okay, of course, he goes all the way back, Chris, to his being anointed. Christ was the Messiah, or the Christ anointed, all the way back in eternity past, so that in time, this very Christ could carry out the work of redemption, the work of salvation in man, to enter into man and carry out his purpose. But that has to be worked out in time, Mm -hmm. and in time, he Mm -hmm. picked up humanity as a man in his incarnation. Now he has a dual nature. He has both divinity and humanity. But the humanity that he put on has nothing to do with the Son of God. It has to be brought into the sonship of the only begotten Son. That process was completed after the 
the Lord was crucified, and then in his resurrection, his entire humanity was brought into divinity, and his resurrection was really a birth. Mm. Not just the birth of the Son of Man, but the birth of the Son of God in his humanity. Eventually, shortly after he was resurrected, God then installed him in the universe as the king and the head of the whole universe. So Acts tells us that God made him both Lord and Christ. But again, the Lord was always the Lord. He was always the Christ. Why would God make him Lord in Christ? He had to make him Lord in Christ in his humanity. He was already Lord in Christ in his divinity. Now he has to bring his humanity into the headship and being Christ. And this was accomplished through the crucifixion, resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. This aspect of Christ having these this dual uh, natures, the human nature and a divine nature. This is really an integral part of our faith, isn't it, Bill, according to the truth? It really is. So he was perfectly God, perfectly man, completely God, completely man. These natures never intermix and become a third or new nature. Right. But in his human nature, he had to be begotten, designated, uh, and uh, installed in this eternal standing that he occupies. Right. Paul uses the word designation there in Romans 1.4, that the Lord was designated the Son of God. Again, that designation was a designation of his humanity and brought into the sonship of the only begotten Son to give him both the divine nature and the human nature that is in resurrection. That's what Paul was trying to bring out when he was preaching the gospel there to those Jews in that synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. Yeah. Uh, so the, you have a marvelous revelation there. And Paul's also touching the same thing in Hebrews chapter 1, saying to the angels, because the, the Jews, they, they exalted the angels to the uttermost. So eventually Paul had to say, okay, Hebrew believers, consider to which of the angels did the Lord say at any time, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. None of the angels had the qualification, because the angels do not possess divinity, neither do they possess humanity. But the Lord possesses both divinity and humanity in resurrection. So Paul was making a comparison between the angels and the firstborn son of God. No comparison, Chris. <laughs> Christ is far superior to the angels. And you look at... Uh, you know, Psalm 1 and 2, he's far superior to the Mosaic law. So we should follow the psalmist in Psalm 2, verse 12, Bill. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Oh, the blessings of all those who flee to him for refuge. A warning, but uh, something very sweet also in that verse. All right, here's Witness Lee with our last segment. Now, what shall we do? Psalm 2 gives us a word, a warning to the world. Don't think there's no God in this universe. Don't think Christ is just a name in religion. Revelation and the Old Testament tell us clearly that God and his Christ are waiting there. To wait for his hands, he will come in to execute his judgment in his anger in his wrath. Now, as you know this, repent. This is the New Testament gospel. Right? Take refuge in the sin. This equals to believe into the sin. We never thought to believe into Christ is to take refuge. You think about that ark, Noah's ark. When all the 
people trust or believe in that ark, they all entered into that ark to take the ark as their refuge, protection, hiding place. Do you realize today that our Christ is our refuge? It's our kind of protection. We are hiding ourselves in him. Refuge. Every day. Even as an old man, you don't believe so. Before sleeping, nearly every night, I pray something the same. Lord, cover us, our building, our yard, with your prevailing blood. Against all the enemies attack. The next morning, Lord, thank you for the security. A good prayer. This is to take refuge in Christ. Every time I take a trip, I pray much. Lord, you protect, you cover the car I will take from here to the airport. Then you take good care of the plane. Holidays, this to take refuge in Christ. Okay, the New Testament tells us we need a faith in Christ. We need also love. We have been given a kind of faith. Believing into Christ, taking him as our refuge. Also, we have been given what a kind of love. We love him. We love him. He is within us to be our belief and to be our love. This is the key. Not to meditate the law, to muse in the law, but to kiss Christ, to love him, to linger with him and uh, all the time every day every day take him as our refuge I love this Bill the Lord is so many things to us um, but one of the things that maybe we overlook he is really our refuge isn't he our protection just like much like the ark was to Noah and his, uh, his sons that, that's really true. When you look at uh, what we talked about earlier in, in Brother Lee's ministry, you can see how rich Christ is. From eternity past, he was anointed in his divinity. Right. Then he came into time as a man and was anointed at the beginning of his ministry of three and a half years to accomplish God's purpose for man. Then we know, of course, he was crucified for our redemption. He was resurrected to become the firstborn son of God in his humanity, we saw. Then he was installed by God to be the king of the universe. Then he will come back and set up his kingdom, and the whole earth will belong to him. And we think, my, this is such a wonderful, all-inclusive Christ, yet he's very practical. He's our refuge. We can flee into him every day. Uh, you know, in our situations, in our circumstances, we just need to believe into him like Noah and others there in the ark. They entered into that ark. They took refuge in that ark. So we need to take refuge in Christ every day, calling on him, enjoying him, believing in him. And then the, this will really rescue us from the coming judgment, because we know it's a serious thing. This Christ in God's economy will also come back as a judge, right, judging everything that does not match his glory and his holiness. Bill, on the one hand, he is the object of our a supreme love. That's mm-hmm. why we want to kiss the sun mm-hmm. every day. But he's also the one to into whom we flee for our protection, our 
refuge. And uh, as we exercise faith, I think most believers have had this kind of experience at some point. They just have a sense of of, uh, maybe dark foreboding, Mm -hmm. and you exercise faith to flee into this wonderful hiding place that is the very Christ that we uh, have been given uh, an entrance and an access into. Right. We surely in these days need a refuge, right? With all the things in this world today, with all the things happening, we really need the Lord as our refuge. And also this matter of the love, you know, in the New Testament, faith and love are mentioned by the apostles, Paul and so on, many, many times. Faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, you know, Paul talks about. Faith is our action of believing into him, to flee into him. He's our refuge. He's everything to us. But we also need on the more intimate side, we need to love him, not just to have some cold, hard faith in him to escape our trials (laughs) as a refuge, but we need to love him, right? That means we should have an intimate relationship with the Lord all the time with faith to believe in him, and love is really to enjoy the one in whom we believe. Well, good stuff, Bill. I uh... I'm really enjoying this first week of this life study of the Psalms. Hope you can come back for a number of these programs. It'll be a real pleasure, Chris. We hope you'll get the printed volumes of the life study of Psalms. They're available if you want to contact us toll-free. Our number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. It would be a great resource for you to have uh, as you sit by the radio each day and enjoy the program to have these uh, printed messages so you can really dive into these things. We touched a number of points of the real high truth today, Bill, and so I think this is worth reviewing again and again until uh, we really have it. Yeah, these truths are not simple. They are really quite deep. We'll be back tomorrow as we continue now our life study of the Book of Psalms. For Bill Lawson and Chris Wilde, thank you for listening. Witness Lee's remarkable commentary on the life of Abraham, taken from the life study of Genesis, is now available from Living Stream Ministry in a single volume entitled Abraham Called by God. Abraham Called by God by Witness Lee is available at Christian bookstores everywhere, or you can order by calling 1-888-543-3788.